All right. So for today's podcast, I would like to welcome Dr. Pastrian. I don't know if I said that correctly. Who yeah, is in... mm-hmm. Oh, good. Great. <laughs> She's a surgical pathologist at La Paz University Hospital in Madrid, Spain. I met Dr. Pastrian on Twitter, and I've been looking forward to speaking with her today to get a perspective on what pathologists um, are facing in um, this unprecedented pandemic in countries other than the United States. For perspectives, uh, Spain is a country of approximately 500,000 square miles, slightly more than twice the size of the United States state of Oregon, with approximately 50 million residents. For comparison, the United States is approximately 9.8 million square miles and has a population of 332 million persons. Um, And I will just put a disclaimer in here for the listeners that at some point, Dr. Pastrian has a a special surprise for us for which she is going to interrupt and um, take us outside, I suppose, so we can hear. So that might just happen and we'll just roll with it. Um, But just to introduce where we are today is um, April 8th. And as of today, early this morning, when I last checked, there were 1.4 million confirmed cases of the novel coronavirus worldwide with approximately 398,000 in the United States, which is the world leader still. My home state of Rhode Island has 1,229 confirmed cases, and nationwide there are approximately 13,000 deaths. In contrast, Spain has reported 142,000 cases with 14,000, about 14,000 deaths attributed to the disease. Um, The first case of confirmed coronavirus was noted in the United States on January 20th, and the first case in Spain was confirmed on January 31st. Um, its first death on March 3rd. By March 12th in Spain, schools nationwide were closed. By March 14th, a 15-day state of emergency was declared, banning any movement except to buy food, medicine, and to do work. On March 25th, the Spain death toll overtook that of China, and in the ensuing days, the lockdown was tightened, with all non-essential workers being ordered to stay home. Today, we're going to get a perspective from a physician working and coping in the country's capital city, and it is my pleasure to welcome Dr. Pastrian. So for um, just to get to know you, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to work where you do? Hello, uh, thank you very much for letting me join here. Yeah, uh, well, as you, as, you, as you said, I'm a surgical pathologist in La Paz University Hospital in Madrid, which is the capital city, and it's one of the biggest hospitals in my country. I'm from Madrid, so I, I, I studied here and I got my degree in a local university here. And after that, I just uh, did my training in pathology in this hospital. And when I finished, I was hired here, so it kind of feels like home. And that was like seven years ago. So, well, not much time, but it feels like it was shorter. Yeah, yeah. Um when is the first time you remember hearing about the coronavirus and what was the source and how did you feel at the time? Uh, well, I think I heard about it like uh, like everybody else did through the news. And I think I, <clears throat> sorry, I recall that like, like you hear about any other illnesses that, epidemic illnesses that come by once in a while and they never hit us hard or really hard like this has, has done, like swine flu or avian flu. And they don't. I, I recall that in that in that in that moment, I thought it was mild and it was far, and I wasn't concerned at all. And I think I'm going outside now to let you hear what is happening in my street right now. Great, great. It's eight o'clock in Spain yeah, for, for all those listening. O'clock. Yeah, 
It's eight o'clock and I think you can hear it. Can you hear it? I can, yeah. yeah. That's lovely. Okay, it was this is Is that just people clapping or yeah. are there everybody clapping? Okay. This is this has That's been going great. on from the very beginning of the confinement, from the very first day. And it's like you know, mm -hmm. a symbol. It's uh, the moment when everybody that is at, at home goes to their windows or balconies and just makes, gives a big clap for health workers and for every, work, for every worker that's still working and making the world um, work for us. So mm. it's an emotional moment. It's like, like the symbol of this crisis in Spain. And we all uh, wait eager for that. <laughs> I never miss the clapping. Yeah every night. Oh, I'm sure. Gosh, I'm getting a little choked up. That's really lovely. I think they've actually started doing that in New York City, although I think they do it at seven, but same idea, just yeah, cheering we, on know, everyone. We do, we yeah. do everything very late in Spain. In fact, in fact the, first, <laughs> the very first day, it was at 10 o'clock in the evening, but then, oh. then mm. people um, asked for it to move to eight because, <laughs> because uh, children, uh, children. would like to participate. <laughs> And they would be yeah. at, uh, in bed. So that's what we are doing it at eight now. That's beautiful. I yeah. it, it, That's so funny that you were doing it at 10 p.m. Because, uh, yeah, I'm I'm long asleep by 10 p.m. Because I have little kids. So I totally agree. But that's yeah. so beautiful. Thank you for sharing that with us. <laughs> I appreciate that. Um, yeah, that was nice. Okay. What a great feeling. So um, we talked about, you talked about how when you first heard about, about, coronavirus. Mm -hmm. You heard about it in passing. And I think much like a lot of the people I'm talking to, you thought that's over there and it doesn't sound that bad. Mm -hmm. um, now that it's April 8th, I assume your opinion has changed. Do you remember if there was one moment where something you read something or you saw something and it it just changed the way you thought about this and you, you thought to yourself, oh my, <laughs> well, this is going to be much worse. What uh, is Was there a particular moment? I think I can recall one moment. Mainly, it was a progressive, a, a progressive thing because you know each day uh, news were nearer, they were harder, and you cannot uh, stay thinking that it was mild and it was far. But I, I do remember a moment in which I was in the in my office and an, an infectious uh, specialist, an infectious specialist of my hospital came to talk about a case we had in common. And uh, I took the chance to ask her what her opinion was on, on what's, what, what was happening. I think that was when it, it was before any confinement measures. I don't think there were any community spread cases declared in Spain. So it was really soon in, in all this. And, you know, schools were open and everything was looking fine. But I asked her and she's a very quiet and calm person. So I thought she was going to downplay me and reassure me and and give me, you know, some relax and say that it wasn't as hard as it sounded, but she didn't. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I remember that I asked her, do you think it's wise for me to buy some more food or some more supplies than I usually do? And, and she said, yes. And I asked her, do you think uh, pathologists may be called to help to the to the crisis? And, and she said, yes. And I, I wasn't expecting that answer at all. And that day mm -hmm. I thought, well, this is serious because, you know, uh, she is taking it seriously. And, you know, uh, yeah. I came home back that day and told my partner that I was going to buy some more food, not a lot, but some more, some more, some more of everything. And she couldn't believe me because 
that was not the yeah. that wasn't the background at that moment but sadly the doctor was right and almost uh, a week after that he couldn't find any toilet paper at shops isn't it funny how toilet paper is the thing I don't know kind of why. around the world? I don't know why, that but everyone... that unites us because it has it, it has happened all the world around. That's what the first thing yeah. that that finishes that and and let yeah. me know the the um, the uh, thing for cats, the liter of cats. Also, oh. oh yeah, also finished here. Oh really? Cat yeah, litter. yeah, oh, cat litter. I don't know well, why. I... Well, I guess it's kind of like toilet paper yeah, for cats. Yeah, exactly. So you, we're very concerned well. about that. <laughs> about going to the bathroom. Yeah. I yeah, I remember um early on, I think I I I read that a Twitter feed from an Italian doctor and I thought to myself, "Oh no, this is going to be yeah. worse than we think" because I remember seeing that pathologists were helping mm-hmm. and that was the time I remember going to the grocery and everyone kept saying, "Buy enough food for 2 weeks or a month or, you know, just in case you don't want to leave your home." Uh-huh. And it's really hard because I have a family and they eat a ton. And every time I would go, I would fill my cart up, but it was never enough. And I remember one of the workers at the grocery store said, I've never seen someone buy this much food. And so it was before everyone else started doing it. I was trying to get a few extra things, but um, it's funny looking back now, I'm sure I I heard from a friend in town that they won't let you buy more than two containers of milk Mm. because people are trying to clean the shelves out and it's becoming a problem. So yeah, it's good that, that at least um, it sounds like the food flow at least is okay. Yeah. I um, think, if I, not the I think that's not a go. problem, but you know, people yeah. going crazy about things is a problem. So that's why we have yeah, to a little bit more than, than we should have to. Yeah. I mean, 20 years from now we can all laugh about the toilet yeah. paper, hopefully. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, my next question is um, about, your work. So how has work changed for you during this time? Um, a lot of the people I've talked to have said their caseloads have been changing, like going down because elective surgeries are sort of being canceled. Um, what about, you talked about an interaction with an infectious disease colleague. Do you find your interactions with other healthcare providers have changed? And then has anything changed in your hospital in terms of how you all are interacting? Are you all wearing masks? What are you all doing to stay safe? Well, everything you mentioned has changed, has changed completely. Mm-hmm. Um, as I mentioned earlier, it was like a progressive thing, but a very, really um, fast progression because every, every day I went to the work, I went to work, something had changed. Uh, at first, they banned us from getting any free days or any holidays. They banned us from attending to any course or meeting outside hospital. Then they also banned meeting inside hospitals, so two more boards and uh, um, formation um, formative sessions were were cancelled. Uh, we mm-hmm. all have to wear masks inside the hospital all the time, and progressively mm-hmm. all um, elective elective surge all non urgent surgeries and non urgent uh, explorations uh, were cancelled. So we have mm-hmm. we came to have almost no biopsies. I mean, I'm I'm a gastrointestinal pathologist, so most of my workload comes from um, routine colonoscopies and gastroscopies. In back in time, I used to have like a hundred specimens per day, and now I barely have mm-hmm. to. Really have no. Oh uh, wow! Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Wow. that's that's interesting. I guess colonoscopies are considered not essential, although yeah. it makes you wonder how many people <laughs> yeah. just won't get their colonoscopy. Of course, yeah. that, that makes you wonder when yeah. when patients yeah. get their colonoscopy, how many uh, serious illnesses are going to be discovered. But 
uh, you know, there, there's mm-hmm. no there's no room for them. There's there's no professionals to perform them, so they have to be canceled. Mm-hmm. And and that's why we have also set up shifts of staff so that we we can you know manage any any spreading of the disease. That we we have still not have any any had any case in my department, but we expect that in, oh, in one moment we'll have it. So shifts is a way of mm-hmm. you know making making the right. spread uh, shorter. And of course, right. we are not allowed Unless, to go to yeah. other departments inside the hospital. We, we have to keep inside our offices as much as possible. And we have a okay. better protective equipment for managing uh, samples, especially frozen and fresh tissue ones. So what are you doing for frozen sections? Are you cutting them yourself? Uh, no, but or... we, we, we get a protective equipment with uh, goggles and gown and uh, a, a special mask, F, F, FP2 mask, and 95, I think the, that's how do you yeah, tell them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. all disposable items. And the, the cutter is inside where we manage the fresh tissue. But really, mm-hmm. we, we, we don't get frozen anymore. <laughs> we, we don't get almost anything yeah. anymore. So... It's just when when it comes, we are much more um, sophisticated with how or with how we treat the samples. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and how has testing been in Spain? In in the United States, we've had a lot of trouble with availability of testing. Are they testing patients oh. who aren't symptomatic, or are they only testing patients who are really ill in the hospital? Or no. you said that there's so many cases. Are they just assuming people have it now? Uh, that's change. That's changing day by day. Also by the by the availability mm-hmm. of testing, because uh, there's sometimes where there are no tests, so they cannot test. Sometimes where they mm-hmm. receive new tests and they start saying they test, they are testing everyone because the uh, World Health Organization said we should. But uh, reality is mm-hmm. we're not testing. We're testing far uh, less uh, people than than may have the the, the illness. I, I cannot um, be very accurate on this because I'm not at the front line of, of testing, so I don't know what they are doing. But I can right. tell you, they are not testing yeah. contacts at all. I mean, if we have a okay. case in okay. the department, they are not going to test uh, the colleagues. Right. They are not everyone. Test, no. They are mm-hmm. only testing yeah. symptomatic cases, at least at yeah. Madrid right now. Right, right. It seems that's a general trend. Um, but as a pathologist, you know, I, I try to train myself when I'm doing a frozen section to assume that the patient has a communicable disease, oh. HIV or hepatitis C, just so that I'm as careful as I can be. And I think until we have widely available testing, we almost have to assume that the patient's could have oh, of course, coronavirus. Of course. We all right? the right. same way. Right. We assume everyone, everybody is positive because that's not right. far from true. Right. What, right, right. And and we'll probably never know. Yeah. yeah. So that, that's <laughs> maybe. Totally. Yeah. So um, are you hearing, I know you said you spoke to that infectious mm-hmm. disease physician early on, but you said you're not having direct contact with other mm-hmm. physicians and healthcare providers. What are you hearing from your colleagues in the hospital, I assume through you know, email or what, how, how are things going for them uh, in the hospital? Well, my information from that point of view is, is mainly from friends and colleagues of other institutions or other, other specialties in, in my hospital. And mm-hmm. well, what they're going through is really hard, much harder than what I'm going through, which is, in fact is privileged. They are almost mm-hmm. every, every clinician is, this is uh, now um, faced, um, has, has to, 
um, treat COVID patients because just imagine in my, in my hospital there are 1,400 1, beds and now around 1,000 are COVID patients. So everybody in my mm. institution is treating them. That means you know mm -hmm. you have to, you are facing new a new illness in a new environment with much pressure and you 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 have to do new tasks and you have very short time to learn. So it's it's getting it's being very very hard for them. We, we try to stay in contact mm -hmm. and you know be supportive, but it's very hard. And some days some days are very are very low. I mean they have to treat patients and sometimes they are very very ill. And in other circumstances they would get into a in, intensive care unit, but there are no beds. So now mm -hmm. some you have to prioritize, and sometimes your patient does not make it to in, to intensive care. You have to. Take, tell that decision to the patient and to the families and imagine how's that. That that basically there's not enough ventilators or bed space there's or beds, equipment. So they have basically. to prioritize okay. and they're they they're prioritizing mm -hmm. by uh, chronic illnesses and by the chances of that special patient to get through the illness. So many old mm -hmm. patients mm -hmm. or chronic, chronically ill patients are not getting into intensive care units. That's the truth. Uh, that. I mean, as a physician, I know as pathologists, we're removed from that mm -hmm. directly. But as a physician, I cannot imagine how hard it is to have to make those decisions and have those conversations. Um, yeah. And I've also read a lot in Spain that a lot of healthcare workers, physicians and nurses are getting sick. And mm -hmm. that also must be very hard to be on the front lines and watch your yeah. friends and colleagues. There has been a quite shortage yes. of, of protective equipment, really shortage. I, I, I haven't seen that in my institution that I think has done things very well in that from that point of view, <laughs> but that's not the reality mm -hmm. in Spain. There has been really mm -hmm. a, um, a big shortage of protective equipment. So yeah, many healthcare workers are treating patients without the protective measures so they're getting ill yeah they are oh that's so upsetting i'm so sorry to hear that um do you think after this is all done um i know we who likes to predict the future do you think that medicine will change after this and how do you think it would change I'm thinking, I've been thinking a lot about that because now is the moment in which in Spain we are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel and everything seems that it's going better each by day, each day by day. And we're thinking about how we're going to get out of this. How is people going to get out of home and start, you know, embracing each other again without feeling guilty or without feeling mm -hmm. exposed. And I don't know how, how that is going to be. In, I'm a big skeptical uh, in general, I think things will change less than we think. But I, mm. I really think in medicine, we should learn some things. There are very good things that we could learn. And first of all, we should learn to give the protective measures the importance that they have. I don't know how the mm -hmm. culture of security is in the United States, but in Spain, we have to work a lot about that. There's not, uh, I don't feel there's a good culture of personal security at work between health workers, among health workers. You mean you don't think that people um, take very seriously yeah, I don't think so. the idea that they should be wearing this equipment on a day-to-day -day yeah, basis? I don't think that so. It's not... I don't think so. And I'm, okay. I'm afraid they won't learn that lesson even with that because I'm seeing it mm -hmm. around. I see people around me that even in the situation, they have to be reminded to put the mask on. And I cannot believe mm -hmm. how can anybody be without the mask when we have a 15% of uh, of uh, positive people being health workers. 
that they still do mm-hmm. have because they I don't I don't know why I can understand I don't I do not take my, my mask unless I'm taking I'm having a coffee but I I do see that around mm-hmm. and I really hope uh, these um, this sinks in and we learn that culture of security because we need it. That's the first lesson we should learn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And another thing that we could learn uh, is uh, to mm, manage resources in a more wise manner. Because, you know, after in, in this sit- setting, many consoles have been cancelled or postponed and many consoles have been done through the phone. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, phone consults are just not a thing, in, not a thing in Spain. They don't exist. And now we are seeing that they are useful and they are very good for everyone. They're, if, if, they, if they are done right, I mean, I don't think that every consult can be done on the, on the phone, but many of them can. Right. And they're good for patients mm-hmm. and they're good for staff because you can do it from home and you can, you know, combine your personal mm-hmm. life. And they're good for, for their health system because they're cheaper and they are faster. We could, we could mm-hmm. take that lesson and continue doing uh, phone consults mixed up with personal ones because that's a good point. That's mm-hmm. a good thing for us. But, you know, I, I don't know if that will happen. At least we now have the experience they can, we can do phone consults and they are useful. I don't know. Maybe, maybe yeah. something uh, uh, remains. I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree. They're, they're, um, I think they sort of had to do that here in the States at least to – keep patients out of the hospital who were not sick, Yeah, you know, and so they are doing, and they have some face-to-face, some video options so the patients can see their physician, um, the physician can see the patient, and I think it's going pretty well. Unfortunately, I think there are many physicians who are, they don't want to have to learn something new. They don't want to have to do that. They like the way they've always done it, but like you said, maybe this will yeah, but, push people yeah. to... Yeah. Right. Um, and they realize how easy it is. I, I mean, this is just a funny story, but they've started doing a lot of what we call tumor boards, mm-hmm. sort of like mm-hmm. inter, yeah. you know, where the yeah, radiologist yeah. and mm-hmm. the pathologist and the oncologist, and they've started doing those on video conferencing. And my friend texted me the other day and said that she was at tumor board from her um, living room at her house in her pajamas. Yeah. And, and, you know, as a pathologist, if you have access to the reports and you have, you know, prepared images to share there, there's no reason why that couldn't work. And for many people, that's better. It's better to have flexibility. So yeah, in fact, that's interesting. Do you, do you no, yeah, finish, finish, sorry. Yeah. Uh, no, I was just going to ask if you all have any trainees at your, do you have um, residents and medical students where you are? Yeah, we have both. Are they, um, are you, st- I assume you're not doing teaching at the microscope with residents um, right now? Well, I, I, I do it when I have cases, but I don't have any cases. So when I do have, uh, I'm, I'm using social distancing. We get into a big office and they sit uh, mm-hmm. quite apart from the, from me and I mm-hmm. project mm-hmm. cases over a, over a screen, but you know, oh, it's okay. getting lower and lower so i just told them to study uh, cases uh, archival cases and because they're not learning from what, what i get I, I have two biopsies a day mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i think a lot of people have gone um one of the other people i talked to said that he can sit in his office and put the slides on the screen and then the resident can sit in their office and look at the yeah, same the problem image. Is we don't, and, in my institution, we don't have digital pathology. There are other institutions mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. do have digital pathology and those institutions mm-hmm. 
we go home working from the from the very beginning. They sent their staff home and they have been signing out mm-hmm. cases from home, but that's not a possibility in my institution. Sure. So, yeah, it requires a lot of storage yeah. space, I think, yeah. to scan slides no, at a resolution. Yeah. yeah, that we're comfortable with. So that's interesting. Um, we uh, and then uh, personally, at, like outside of work, has this situation affected you? I assume you know people who have become infected just because so many people are infected in Spain. Um, is it a stressful time for you? And what do you do to try to help with that stress? Well, yeah, um, I don't think there's a single person in Spain that can tell you that it has not, this has not affected them personally. And also, I want to mm-hmm. stress again that I feel privileged because, you know, um, I'm mm-hmm. working less. I don't fear, I don't have any fear of losing my job. And that's not, the, that's not what I see around. And uh, I don't have to see patients uh, uh, with, with this disease. But anyway, the fact that you cannot get out home when, when you come, come back from work, the fact that you cannot see your loved ones, the fear that you, you think that some of them may get, may get ill and maybe seriously ill, or um, that all sums up. And, and of course, it's a stressful moment. And what to do with it, uh, I don't really know. You know. Everybody knows what the standard measures of coping with stress are, you know, eating well and sleeping well and all those things and, you know, doing things that you like. But in fact, sometimes um, all I can do is get out of bed and get to the sofa and that's fine too. I, I don't think this is a moment to yeah, that's... to to be very, um, expect anything from yourself because just be kind to yourself and yeah. know that, that anything you can do and you just have to survive. This is a long run. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I, I just, uh, my, I had a friend, I remember I texted a friend early on and I said, cause I was still going to work and I was, I'm just, I was so scared, you know, because no one was taking it seriously and I wanted to hide from people. Mm-hmm. And she said, I said, what am I going to do? And she said, just keep putting one foot in front of the yeah. other. And so that's been what I've been doing. It's just like, what is the next thing I need to do? Okay. I'll go do that. Now what's the next thing? Okay. I'll yeah. do that. And then sort of at the end, then the day is over and you just start over again. But it's definitely, like you said, it's hard to sort of expect yourself to, you know, write a novel or, um, you know, reinvent something. It's, it's just, yeah, it's hard um, because in, some days all you yeah, can do. In social media, sometimes you see people that are doing all those, that I'm, I'm reading a lot, I'm cooking, I'm, I'm playing with my friends, with my children all day long. You know, uh, it's fine if you can do that, but it's also fine if you cannot, okay? And there are good days and there are bad days and yes. they're all good. They're, yeah. They all have to exist and just be kind to yourself. That, that's yes. my piece of advice. Yes, and I will, yeah, exactly. And, uh, and uh, yeah, being confined to a house with children in this period of time, I think there will be plenty written about yeah, that. But we're, um, we're going to have uh, lots of stories when this is over. <laughs> exactly. So um, just touching on that, the point that I mentioned earlier, I remember, like I said, one of the moments where it kind of hit me um, that this could be worse than I thought was when I heard that pathologists were participating in clinical care in Italy. And I remember running it by a friend who trained, um, her primary medical training was not in the United States. She did residency here. And she said, well, most of those physicians probably did some clinical medicine. Um, So it's not as if, like, like me, I've never done any clinical medicine. Um, how did you briefly touched on how training works in Spain? Is it um, you go straight from what we would call high school into medical school and then residency? But is there any clinical training 
within that time such that you would feel comfortable seeing patients or how does that work? Uh, well, the short answer is no. Uh, we, we, we do get from okay. uh, high school to medical degree and then from the residency. And most programs of pathology mm -hmm. residency do not include any clinical, uh, um, clinical setting at all. Uh, not during degree and not during okay. the specialty. So most Spanish pathologists have no clinical background at all. That being said, um, okay. I have I do have to tell you that yeah, uh, pathologists are being required to help, but they're not being required to help in clinical uh, things. They are being assigned tasks that they can manage. They are being assigned uh, as a helpers with bureaucracy, with filling up forms, with calling uh, relatives and telling them how the patients are going. They are not being assigned things uh, that they cannot do. So. In fact, I know lots of okay. pathologists that are, that are helping, and I don't know a single one that is not happy with that, what they are doing. In fact, it's a good thing because you feel useful. I, uh, you know, there's a lot of mm -hmm. feeling useless when you're not being called and you are not working because you don't have any bi biopsies. Mm -hmm. So from mm -hmm. that point of view, I think uh, resources are being managed in a correct manner. I mean, pathologists are being assigned to where they are useful. I wouldn't be scared of that. It, I, I expect that in your in your country they will do the same if they if they get to call you. Yeah, that does seem to be the general pattern. There are sort of outlier type people who are volunteering for more, um, but I think the general pattern is that they're being used, at least from what I'm seeing, and I'm just starting to see this in terms, like you said, contacting family. Um, I think at least as physicians, we are able to use the right vocabulary. Yeah, exactly, we can. Yeah interpret with, you know, we understand enough to know how to talk mm -hmm. about it um, with the right words. So that's, that's very interesting. That's not, that's not the picture I got initially from Italy, but I think what I read was right at the beginning, probably when they were just initially being overwhelmed. Um, so that's good to hear. That's really good to hear. Um, and then just, uh, it, the the most recent stories coming out of Spain, and I will I admit that at the beginning I was following this very closely all around the world, and for my own mental health, I have had That's to stop watching the news as much. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so I look and I watch maybe one hour of news a day while I'm running because it's motivating, but I don't I don't do it like I used to. But I know that people are saying, and I've been looking at the curves in Spain. It seems like the new cases are sort of leveling off or going down slightly and that things are starting not not that things are there are not bad and it still seems like a lot of people are dying but that it seems to be getting a little bit better and i know you're not in there with the numbers and you don't have any access to the numbers that i don't have but does it feel different now than it did say two weeks ago do you feel like you all have turned a corner or it's getting better somehow yeah, i think the general feeling uh is that this is getting better and this is gone this finally has a an end, and we are seeing it. Uh, of course, there are many people still uh, at hospital and will continue to have them because they have many of them need long stays. But uh, each day we have mm -hmm. more discharg discharges than new, than new patients. So uh, we are getting free beds. Oh, we are good. getting free uh, beds in intensive care units. So day by day, uh, older and more chronically ill patients are getting into intensive care units. Yeah, I have to say that this this is this is getting better day by day. Yeah, it's still a lot more to go, and, but yeah, um, we are uh -huh. optimistic now. 
And and what are people talking about, not just at the hospital, but just your friends and family? How do people think you will go from, I assume you're still calling what you're in lockdown. Mm -hmm. How do you think that will go back to something that's more normal? Does the government talk about that? Is it going to be a slow process or do you have any, Um, are they even talking about that yet? Yeah, right now that's what what was uh, being talked more about because that's what we are talking, Mm -hmm. that's that's what comes. We still have like uh, at least two weeks more to go of of total lockdown, but Mm -hmm. government are are now Mm -hmm. talking about, uh, you know, how to relax these measures. They're talking about doing uh, population-based testing so that they can uh, plan how 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 many people is immunized and and then start uh, mm-hmm. you know letting people out I, I guess I guess this would be progressive but you know I don't yeah, know just I, have, slowly. I have my yeah. friends divided between the ones that think that the world will, is going to change forever and we're never going to touch each other again and the ones that that thing mm-hmm. um, that this will, this will be over and we will be back to normal sooner than expected. And I'm in the second group. I think I, at, at, at the end, everything comes back to where it was. I don't know how long it will take. I'm, my personal bet, it, uh-huh. it, it will be through the summer. But it's a personal bet. And I don't know okay. if I will be right. I hope, yeah. I, I hope so. I, yeah, I don't know. They, they asked, um, one of our national experts, his name is Anthony Fauci. He's an infectious disease doctor and an epidemiologist. They asked him, they said, when do you think it will go back to normal? And he said, I don't know what you mean by normal. If you think the world is going to be the way that it was before this, I don't think we'll ever be normal again, but it will take, (laughs) right. Yeah. exactly. But you know, I think, I think for a long time, it's going to be something people think about, you know, I mean, I was thinking about this the other day, if they're going to test, like you said, for mm-hmm. immunity, how will we know who is immune and who isn't, you know, how will we know, because what if everyone in a family is immune except one person, do you yeah, but still there, go out in the world? Be, you know, in group immunity, like yeah. vaccines works, like if there's only yeah. one in 10, yeah. then you can be protective, you can be, I mean... I don't think this yeah. is a disease in which we have to be concerned about getting ill by ourselves, but we have to be concerned when everybody gets ill at the same time because we don't have enough beds for everybody yeah. at the same time. But right. if people get ill right. slowly right. in a progressive manner, we can save them. We have mm-hmm. the measures to save them. Yeah, that's, that's not true. the problem. Yeah. And that's the point where we got, we, we're living behind now. Yeah, we got to get kind of flatten the curve. That's nice. Well, um, this was a really good conversation. Thank you for taking us outside and letting us hear the um, moment of applause. That was really powerful. It would be nice if we kept doing that, I would think, not just for healthcare workers, but if people just appreciated people. But um, I live in a kind of rural area. There's no way I would be able to hear anyone clapping here. So that was really nice. Thank you for sharing that with me. Um, I think it, it's nice to hear from from someone from another country, especially a pathologist who has a similar experience to mine, just to know that um, everyone was is scared, was scared, and we're all figuring this out together. And um, I, I don't know if you have any any final thoughts. I'll give you the last word. Uh, I don't know. I think we've covered almost anything. I just stay safe and be as, as calm as you can yeah. because this will be over this will be over and it will it will be sooner than we think now yeah 
I'm optimistic oh, now. That's so I'm lovely to hear. I'm oh, good. Yeah. Good. Oh, good. I'm getting there very slowly, so it's good to hear that. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for joining me. It was very yeah. nice to talk to you. Yeah, Have a great thank day. You. Thank you. Okay. Bye, thank, thank you. you. Bye. Uh-huh.